For your situational awareness. My mantra is one team, one fight. I think we've got a great team. We're part of a bigger team. And we've got a really daunting fight ahead of us. An Air Force podcast bringing you stories of airmen. It's really cool seeing leaders connect with millennials and, and Generation Z. Their resilience. How has the mission changed since COVID-19? Making sure that our airmen are taken care of, they're being heard. Innovation. Not only has it not slowed us down, it's actually forced us to accelerate further to keep up. And so much more from around the force. Diversity of age and gender and upbringing is just goodness. It's, you know, yeah. From Air Force Production, this is FYSA. Positive change that affects the Air Force and beyond can come from anyone, anywhere, and at any time. From Airman Gabrielle DeQuire in Hawaii taking a computer-based training and noticing something's not quite right. Well, I'm not going to lie. I was really irritated. I didn't even get to calm myself down. I was really irritated, and I spun around in my chair, and I was like, guys! And my coworkers, they were like, well, what's going on, DeQuire? What's what's happening? This CBT, this first, this first page and this second page, all of these are just talking about how Muslims are extremists and that they're terrorists. Or to the flight line where Master Sergeant Jason Yunker created the Viper Kit, an idea that changed how the Air Force conducts deployed refueling operations. The ones that realized what was going on, they were on the edge of something amazing. And I couldn't have been more happier for them to be able to see something like this because the whole reason for this and the reason it's named Viper Kit is because Spangalum POL is Team Viper. And to Joint Base San Antonio, Lackland, Texas, where innovation experts are helping airmen turn good ideas into innovation that's repeatable across the enterprise. What we're trying to create, and that this is the more important piece, is a tool to manage innovation. So prior to six months ago, there was no single system that any innovator could go into to see what innovations or projects were being worked. You know, a lot of people are going to say this is the wild, wild west of innovation. From Air Force Production, I'm Senior Airman Michaela Daly. What's up? I'm Angel Orozco. And for your situational awareness, this is FYSA Change Agents. On the podcast today, we'll explore the common denominator to positive change and repeatable innovation. Before we get too deep into that, though, I got to say congratulations to you on completing Airman Leadership School. That's a big deal. I proudly present to you the graduates of Raptor. Hailing from Clearwater, Florida, and assigned to the Defense Media Activity, Senior Airman Michaela Daly. Thank you so much. Happy to be back. We started this podcast about empowering airmen or what it is to be an empowered airman before you went to ALS. I remember that day you got those orders and I was like, but we're doing the podcast. But nevertheless, that takes precedence, obviously, always. And so we were digging into empowerment before that. And now I'm just wondering how your perspective has changed. I think my perspective of empowering airmen has definitely changed after graduating ALS just because the emphasis of empowerment is much stronger than I realized. And it's so important in being a supervisor and being an effective leader to care about your airmen and just empower them in general. And that's really taught in ALS. And I found that really interesting. And it's something I really didn't know before. So the three stories that we're showcasing today are all based in empowerment, but the approach to each is slightly different. Let's start with our two experts from the Ventures Innovation Office. Colonel Lance Clark kicks things off. There are many phrases that sometimes just become cliche and people don't know 
uh, really, okay, what does that mean? And I think empowerment is one of those. Colonel Clark serves as the director of the Expeditionary Support and Innovation Directorate within the Air Force Installation and Mission Support Center, also known as AFIMSC. And when we talk about empowering airmen, I think it's going to mean something different to, to everybody else. But in my mind, empowering airmen is really giving our airmen the resources uh, and the uh, autonomy to be able to get after the very things that we're asking them to do. When it comes to innovation and what we were just talking about, innovation is certainly that a way that we can do that because we give our airmen a space to be able to say, let's go uh, and remake the kingdom, if you will. Right? How do we redo this? How do we relaunch this capability? If you were going to design it from scratch, uh, how would you do it? And then what we do is we give them some resources or we put them in touch with people who have funding, who have um, equipment, who have time, uh, and who have a workforce uh, that can help them get after those solutions. Uh, and so that in and of itself is empowering because we are giving them the resources to be able to succeed at the very thing that we're asking them to do, those things that we're challenging them with, if you will. If empowering airmen in the colonel's eyes looks like giving them availability to resources, such as connections to the right people, equipment, expertise, and funding, then they're off to a great start. So since November of 2018, we have been able to gain over $70 million to support our airmen. And much of that is through partnerships like what I just talked about. Um, when it comes to across the Air Force, different other organizations that are looking at being able to rapidly contract um, uh, ideas and, and, and bring them uh, to full-on capabilities. And some of that is just because of uh, the federal government incentivizing companies, uh, either through tax breaks or the potential profit that they could reap from commercialization, uh, to work with us on future capabilities and technologies. With the funding the Ventures Innovation Office has helped airmen acquire for their ideas, the team has been able to fully develop a dozen of them, ranging from software and mobile applications, equipment modifications, and quality of life projects. Colonel Clark details one of the innovations that started with a ping and was developed by a motivated airman in his off time. But we had another guy who was, uh, he was a defender, so he was a security forces airman, uh, but he had taken some cyber courses online. And so when you come to an installation, they scan your ID card with this device that automatically registers it. You're in a database and they can tell who you are, whether or not you're ac uh, authorized access. You come on. Well, those little handheld scanners would go down oftentimes. So this defender decided, look, I'm tired of it, right? The only way we can tell if those are up is we have to actually drive out to the gate and figure it out. Are, are, are these online or are these not online? So in his off time, he took the, the knowledge that he had from taking these cyber classes and, and, and some programming classes and wrote a program that from the security forces headquarters building on the base, you just run this program and it sends a ping essentially out over the network and checks to see if the DBID system, these scanners, are up and running. And it can tell you right away, what do I have? This dude did it in his off time, right? Because he saw, look, here's a need. How can I make this better? And those are the kind of folks that we want to come alongside. He's another guy who came and competed uh, during rodeo, and we were able to give him some funding 
And I just think that that's so awesome, especially for me as an airman, hearing these stories of other airmen that are coming up with these innovative ideas and how your center um, and all you guys are doing to help empower them, I feel is just, it's very inspiring. I'm encouraged to hear you say that because that's exactly what we need to do because people want to feel like what they do makes a difference, right? And and if for some reason they, they don't feel that way, then they lose desire and they lose hope. But when we recognize that the Air Force, we like to brag that we have the world's most um, advanced airmen, intelligent, capable. That's great if we have them, but if we don't give them the opportunity to put that to use, then folks start to become disillusioned and they lose hope. And they go find other places where they can um, they can sell their wares, basically, right? Other places where they can get involved and make a difference. Our Air Force has need of airmen like that, who have the intelligence, who have the desire, who have the capability, who have the initiative to get out there and make a difference. And so we want to do everything that we can to give them every chance of success to put that to use. And and certainly, AFIMSC Ventures uh, in our innovation office is a way that we do that. As the Air Force continues to embrace a culture of collaboration, accountability, and innovation, we're seeing a rise in forums and competitions that support the charge, accelerate change, or lose. It seems like weekly we're hearing about the creation of a new Spark Cell or the announcement of Spark Tank finalists. So it would only be right for the Ventures Innovation Office to have a similar space for innovation and competition. Enter the Innovation Rodeo, which is a place where mission support airmen can pitch their ideas to senior leaders in a forum that has a wide reach. So my favorite innovation that came out of the Innovation Rodeo of 2021, I was blown away by the Smart Locker idea by Airman First Class Ricardo Morales. I've definitely struggled with, you know, getting my packages in the dorms, so could definitely relate. A1C Ricardo Morales, stationed at Robbins Air Force Base, Georgia, had the idea for smart lockers quickly after joining the Air Force and realizing the service lacked package pickup and delivery options for airmen living in the dorms. He noted that the technology is already a proven solution in the commercial sector, so why not try to bring it to the Air Force? We were really excited that um, that it won the rodeo and we were able to kind of move forward with with execution. This is Dustin Dickens. He's an innovation manager at the Ventures Innovation Office. What was even more exciting is that the Spark Cell at Robbins has already, had already started the process and the discussion. And so they were able to quickly, um, you know, modify a contract, get the, um, get the smart lockers um, competed, and then move forward. They're about to install the first smart locker at Robbins in the dorms. Um, it, it's scheduled pending any unforeseen delays. But that gives you an example of how quickly things can be executed, right? So we went from innovation rodeo, bringing all the stakeholders together, uh, working the requirements generation package, working contract award and execution. And now here we are, you know, under a year later, um, talking about actually installing smart lockers in the dorms. And and then this is only the beginning, right? We want to be able to use this as a use case and a template so that smart lockers can be put at dorms all across the Air Force. You know, it's great to see that senior leaders see the potential in an airman 
And, you know, his pitch was brought to the very top of the of the list and selected as the as the winner of the of the rodeo last year. What are some of the innovations that stand out to you since you've been there? We love all of our innovations um, at IMSC. I mean, we're fortunate to to have some some fantastic projects, um, but there's one particular project that stands out uh, mainly because of its impact and sustainability or scalability. So we work on a project called Vision. Vision or Virtual Innovation Support Integration Operations Network is a web-based software application that was developed as a tool to manage innovation across the force. There was no single system that any innovator could go into to see what innovations or projects were being worked. This is the wild, wild west of innovation. The application was originally developed and tested under the name Digital Innovation Dashboard, but the concept was revised after receiving input from Air Force innovation programs like AFWorks, Spark Cells, and multiple major commands. The system currently has over 700 projects. There's over 700 users, and it's working. You know, people are able to collaborate and connect, track innovation ideas, see what other innovation ideas are out there. We're able to, you know, to connect in a way we hadn't been able to do previously. The small team of innovation experts at AFI-MSC's Ventures Innovation Office consists of three project managers. Through their works, they're empowering airmen by providing the necessary tools and connections to take good ideas from conception and development to testing and implementation across the force. Now we'll head to Hawaii, where a storm was brewing at Joint Base Pearl Harbor-Hickam's Weather Squadron over computer-based training, or CBT, as it's more commonly referred to. This situation involves a senior airman who discovered something wasn't quite right while taking the annual prescribed computer-based training. My name is Gabrielle DeQuire. I'm currently a senior airman, so an E4. Um, I'm still a senior airman. <laughs> um, I tested for staff a couple times, but little poor me, I didn't make it. But it's okay, though. I'm, I'm cruising with the E4s. Um, but yeah, now that I'm in um, Air National Guard, I am in the process of trying to do E5 uh, or become a staff sergeant. But other than that, yeah, that's who I am. That's who I am right now. Senior airman. Hoo ha ha ha. This story tells a different variation of empowerment from the previous one. The basis of this one relies more on human resources rather than technical support. So I, I was immediately filled with pride just that she felt comfortable, um, empowered. This is Lieutenant Colonel Sarah Zimmerman. The way she did it, too, was a really wonderful indication of how things were going in our unit, where she talked with her teammates on the, in, on the ops floor, her element, her NCOs, and they helped her. Nobody shut her down. Nobody dismissed it. They, they validated her feelings, and they helped her move forward with action. And then it got all the way up to me, and so I invited her to come talk about it. And that's when we kind of formulated our, our plan. Colonel Zimmerman's currently the deputy group commander of the 707th Intelligence Surveillance and Reconnaissance Group. Funny enough, is based on Fort Meade where we're at. And I say it's funny because we had quite the hard time tracking her down. Turns out she was right under our nose. But meeting her was surprising and... Um, it's a great word. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's, wait for it, awesome. awesome. We did say awesome a lot that day. Yeah, we did. 
Before she PCS here, Zimmerman was the squadron commander for the 17th Operational Weather Squadron. Once a gecko, always a gecko. So I'm using the present tense. Um, I'm not stationed there anymore, but I will always be a gecko. As commander, Zimmerman was presented with an opportunity to support and empower Airman Gabrielle de Quire in a way she never has before with anyone else. She was working on her CBTs uh, on shift, just part of your, you know, your normal duty day um, to knock out some training. And when she was going through the, the CBT, it was the force protection CBT, she noticed that majority of the examples around terrorism were Islamic terrorists. And she felt like that was not only not completely accurate, especially in the last few years with domestic terrorism and even just terrorism that is not Islamic. Um, she felt like it was inaccurate and she also felt that it perpetuated some stereotypes around um, Islam and, and being Muslim. She is a Muslim American and she felt, she felt really alienated and disheartened that, that we weren't including that type of perspective um, in a CBT more accurately. And what is she like just as a person? Oh, she is like a light, just this bright light. She is an influencer for good. She's just so positive. I got to tell you, that is hard to come by and, and just such a, she was just such a huge contributor to our unit. Uh, it's a 24-7, 365-day ops floor. Those are mid-shifts. That's tough. Even in Hawaii, that's, that's hard. We were lucky to have her. Gabrielle, tell me about the day when you took the prescribed annual computer-based training and realized this didn't, like, feel right. Um, <laughs> oh boy, okay, let's see if I can remember. Um, it was like a normal day. Um, I was working with some cool people. I go in to shift, you know, uh, do a shift change, get ready. Um, I get on my computer desk, which is really cool. I think I was working on two, four, six, eight, uh, eight computer screens. Mm. So that was pretty dope. I felt super fancy. And um, I know my uh, sergeant was like, hey, you know, hey, the choir, it's time to do your CBT. And I was like, all right, sir, cool, cool, cool. And um, so I started doing the CBT, you know, and um, everyone's just doing their own thing, just giggling and just working. I don't know about a lot of people, uh, but I really like the CBTs. I think I'm nerdy that way. I really like sitting there and actually learning the information and actually applying it to, you know, to my life. And um, so I'm doing the CBT and I'm going through it and going through it, you know, taking note of everything. And then all of a sudden there's uh, one page that I was, I was clicking through it, but after a while it was, it was kind of a little, it's hard to raise some flags because I noticed that the that whole page, so I don't know, maybe it was like eight on one page, they were all talking about terrorists. And it kind of pissed me off a little bit because the only terrorists that they were speaking of were Muslim terrorists. And I was like, is there no other type of, you know, extreme extremism that we need to be aware of? You know, like, why are we only learning about this? So... I was looking at it and I noticed it, it would go back and forth between saying Islamic terrorists, Muslim extremists, Islamic terrorists, Muslim extremists, Arab extremists, blah, 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 going back and forth saying those things. This is when Gabrielle first turned to her fellow airmen and expressed concern over what she was seeing. Like, what sense does that make? There are so many other things going on, you know, 
in the world that we need to be aware of and we're only focusing on this particular group of people you know how are we supposed to be considered the world's best air force if we're not and 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 because we're amazing right we're we're the world's greatest air force because we have such diversity how are we supposed to embrace that when we're teaching our airmen that and we're conditioning them to believing that anyone that is associated with islam or a muslim or arab you know, by any chance, it's considered an extremist. That's going to cause so many problems. That's going to cause animosity within the work within the workplace. That's going to cause prejudiceness. You know, bullying, um, ostracizing, all of those things. You know, and that's not going to be beneficial for our mission. At this point, a fired-up choir got advice from two of her favorite sergeants. They suggested she take that passion and use it to write a well-worded email. Let's do it. Yeah. You know, I'm all heated and everything, yeah, and I'm. Yeah getting on the keyboard, you know, trying to be like a little keyboard warrior, you know, just like, <laughs> you know, just like writing up, just writing up an email. Um, and uh, I and I stopped and I was like, I already knew about, about a bunch of past experiences with other Muslims who had gotten bullied. And, and actually that was one of the, the fears of mine that I had when I was uh, joining the military. Mm. I thought to myself, Oof, you know, like, you know, we had 9-11 and things of that sort, you know. DeQuire, the Houston native, paused to recall her thoughts and fears about joining the military as a Muslim American. She also remembered personal experiences about her community enduring hatred and even violence from Islamophobia. Bringing it closer to home, she shares a memory of what her own family went through. Shoot, my mother actually experienced that too. She would walk around the store and people would take pictures of her and giggle and follow her in the store and stuff, right? And and curse her out and say some really crazy slurs. So yeah, that was something that definitely stood out to me. And before I joined the military, that was something that was really worrisome because I was like, oh boy, you know, like, I hope no one wants to like, I hope I don't get bullied, you know, I hope I don't like someone finds out that I'm a Muslim. So even I think in the beginning, I was kind of nervous to tell people that I was a Muslim, but I, I didn't put that on my, um, on my, I think like on a little application form, you know, when you're yeah. joining, you know, that was something I decided to keep a secret just for a little bit. But quickly though, quickly that was shot down when I went into BMT and I saw that they embraced all different religious practices. So that was a good thing. But moving forward during that CBT, I decided to look up some cases because I heard about some things that happened to past military members that were Muslim. And of course, I got that knowledge, you know. um. After doing some research, the senior airman sent the email up the chain where it eventually landed on the desk of Lieutenant Colonel Sarah Zimmerman. I asked if she could come see me. She she was on mids. um, So we just met up after she got off shift in the morning. And because I wanted to hear it from her, I had seen the email um, that she had sent. And I, but I wanted to chat with her about it and get her perspective one to one. What are you thinking about when you're about to go meet with her? Oh my God, I thought I was in trouble. I thought I did something wrong. Oh my goodness, every time, I, I was freaking out, honestly. I was like, oh boy, I was like, what, what, what's, what's happening now? I was like, what, okay, because then, you know, this passion that I had, right? I was like, yeah, let's do this. That was the moment <laughs> when I went to her door, I was like, oh, snap, you know, I don't know where this is going now. So I had my uh, reservations just a little bit when I uh, walked um, to her office and met with her. Um, but, and how did she receive you? Oh, with 
joy. She was so happy and proud of me. We immediately started talking about, you know, what could we do? Because once I read her email, I had a few ideas, but I'd really never, ever seen anything quite like it, or we've never, we're not going to hear about necessarily how a CBT has changed to know exactly what step one through what whatever is. She was so ecstatic. She's like, she's like the choir, like, you know, I posted what you did on, uh, I think like on some officer page that she's on, I think on Facebook. I had the idea to engage on the women's officer forum and I, I mentioned it to her just so she was aware of kind of what I thought would work because like I said, whatever I found out, I really wanted to, to give back to her so she could be the one to really work this. Um, so that's what we decided and I went ahead and posted on there and there was a huge outpouring of support. And she said that I was getting so much feedback, you know, like people were really proud of me to the point where a whole, um, her name was, uh, I think her name is Major. Major Heil uh, reached out directly, which coincidentally, we have a mutual friend, the director of operations at the weather squadron we were at, and her are friends. It's just such a weird and small world. Yeah, Sadia Hill, and she reached out to me and was so happy and wanted to work with me because um, she was writing about it, you know, what happened, because she's gone through some stuff too, because she's a Muslim, you know. She really was the catalyst to all of this with some very important um, connections that she had established and she was able to connect with Airmen to Choir, both in, in um, emails and in person, which was really cool because she comes to do her reserve time in Hawaii, so she was able to meet her in person, and I, I hope, I imagine that, that there was a, a really great connection there that we'll, they'll, they'll maintain, because it's, it's a lot to change a CBT. I, I honestly didn't know how to react. Like, I, I, I didn't know what to say. I was just like, wow. Like, I, I guess I didn't expect that email, you know, to really get to the point where it got with Lieutenant Colonel Zimmerman and then for her to be so proud. I just, it was just, it was mind blowing, I guess. I was so just like, wow, I didn't even realize this was, I was making a big deal. Like this is a huge difference, you know? Yeah. But she was so amazing, so, so supportive. How did you find out that the CBT was looked at and updated? I ended up getting a letter from a four-star general that's he was the commanding officer at ATC and he basically told me thank you um, for what I did and I think that's when I was like oh yep that that's that's when it happened that's that's when I knew I felt pretty accomplished I was like cool beans <laughs> why did you think it was so important or important enough to take real action and to help accelerate making changes to the CBT simply because she asked. And I also felt like it was important because to me, it falls in the larger umbrella of diversity and inclusion. And it's important that we're making all of our airmen, in this case, feel included. And the way that made her feel was, was excluded um, and perpetuated stereotypes that we really need to change. So I thought it was important to address it, but I didn't, I, I immediately realized this was an opportunity for her to be the one to, to take this instead of just solving people's problems for them. Um, and arguably, she was going to end up being much better at it than I was anyway. So it was important to make her feel like her voice was heard and to also show her that you can do anything. That's what it means to be at the 17th, that you 
feel comfortable stepping forward with a problem and, and finding a way to fix it. And that's what Gecko Life is all about. That's what's up. That's she an got, awesome mascot. She got a letter from the commander of ACC thanking her wow. for what she did. It really is an incredible story. This is empowering airmen, like, at its core. Yes. So, Seemingly an easy fix, course riders have since removed the biased portion from the annual computer-based training. What began as a concern for airmen to choir ended up transforming education and training across the enterprise. In our next and final conversation with a change agent for the Air Force, we go all the way to Okinawa, Japan, where co-creator of the Viper Kit, Master Sergeant Jason Yunker, has just PCS2. So uh, my name is Master Sergeant Jason Yunker. Um, my job in the Air Force is I'm a POL by trade, so I deal with all the fuel and cryogenics on a base. The POL field stands for Petroleum Oils and Lubricants although people in the field may call it something else. If you ask any POL guys, it's painting odd jobs and landscaping, so. <laughs> Master Sergeant Yunker is from Valdosta, Georgia, and he's been in the Air Force for about 18 years with Kadena Air Base on Okinawa being his ninth and latest assignment. Over the past couple of years, he's been at Spangdalem Air Base, Germany, where he's been developing an innovation that changes the way the Air Force conducts deployed refueling operations. This is the story of the Viper Kit. The Viper kit is is basically an adapter. So if you if you think about when you go into Europe uh, to charge your laptop, you need that electrical plug adapter to make it work. So what the Viper kit is is it's an adapter that we can hook up to any type of uh, existing fuel infrastructure. So like a commercial truck, a, um, a a foreign nation's military truck, and make that truck hot refuel capable. It doesn't replace a truck or a, a one of our fuel trucks or anything like that. It just makes what's already there available and opens the door of what we can do. It, it meets all the safety requirements for a hot refuel operation, which is an operation where the aircraft engines don't shut off. They land, they come and get gas, and then they go. Kind of similar to a NASCAR or an F1 pit stop, where they just fuel up and then get back into the fight. This is like uh, something you don't want to do when you're at uh, the gas station. You definitely want to turn your car off. But the Air Force is refueling while the aircraft is still running, basically? Exactly. So uh, the, the, the premise behind a hot refuel operation is a jet is most vulnerable when it's on the ground. So to, to, for an F-16, to as soon as they turn the engines off, the crew, the crew chief has to run about a two-hour and 45-minute checklist just to certify that aircraft to get it back in the air. Whenever they do a hot refuel, the average time for it to be on the ground is about 12 minutes, chalk to chalk. How many gallons? Um, is, uh, an S-16 will take anywhere from uh, 1,000 to 1,300 gallons. Master Sergeant Yunker, why is the Viper kit necessary? I mean, in other words, what did you notice beforehand that made you think this process or the, the way this works can be better? That's a, that's a fair question. Um, so I, I went in to Iceland on a NATO uh, security defense mission with, uh, with, Sp with a Spangalam unit. 
And while I was there, um, Air Force Global Strike had reached out and said, hey, can you lay the groundwork for us? We've got something uh, that we want to come in. And in 2019, they brought in a B-2 uh, bomber and they hot refueled it. They got a nice picture and a nice story of it. Well, behind that, to make that happen, there's a lot of logistical movements that had to happen. And uh, they had to source uh, certified fuel trucks to meet the safety requirements, uh, which were trucks that were out of uh, WRM, uh, War Reserve Materials Storage Facility. And they flew them into Iceland. So two fuel trucks filled up an entire C-17. And they landed them in, in, in Iceland, where I was at. And I, I downloaded them uh, with the team from uh, Whiteman. And then we put the fuel in them, we additized the fuel, and then um, we, we sampled it. Their aircraft landed, and um, then the trucks didn't quite meet the uh, European ground shipment uh, regulations. So they ended up getting stuck there. And um, I had to travel back to Iceland to uh, certify those, drain those trucks out, certify them for ground shipment. And then um, they were shipped back a couple months later. And after all of that, I knew that there had to be something better out there. So what the Viper kit does is it, it meets all of those safety requirements so we can use what's already there. So imagine going, so we shipped two fuel trucks to, to issue 3,600 gallons to one aircraft. And now imagine us being able to do that with what's already there and taking in a half of a pallet position. The The Viper kit is about um, 80, 80 inches long and it weighs 375 pounds. So two people can pick it up, uh, no problem, and, and, uh, and move this thing around. And that's all you need instead of having a full C-17 worth of two trucks because you have to have one as backup. Well, I don't know if you've seen my arms, but I don't know if two people like me could lift 300 pounds. But anyways, um... <laughs> the Viper kit not only gives the Air Force a new refueling capability, but it also saves the force money, time, and manpower. During an exercise, the Viper kit was deployed along with an R-11 refueler truck from Spangdalem to Poland and back. The R-11 took 11 days, 6 hours, and about 35 minutes. The cost was 17,000 euro, or about 19,000 US dollars. The Viper kit took five and a half hours and cost less than 1,000 euro. That kind of innovation was bound to make waves. Exactly. During my travels, I'm proud to see Empowered Airmen. I want to specifically highlight Master Sergeant Jason Yonker and Master Sergeant Timothy Peters in the Viper kit at Spangdalem. This is General C.Q. Brown Jr., Chief of Staff of the Air Force. Master Sergeant Yonker and Master Sergeant Peters designed the Viper kit, a concept that earned AFA's Spark Tank Top 5, was named a fan favorite, and was the first finalist to make it to full Air Force approval and implementation. Of note, the idea was developed after deployment, literally on the back of a barnacle. Is it really true that you scribbled the initial design on the back of a bar napkin? Uh, yes, sir, it is. Um, so I'm sitting there at a, at a bar and I was reliving uh, my time in uh, Iceland because I had went back to Iceland that year in October and here I deployed to this other location in November. 
And I'm sitting there in about January of 2020 trying to figure out, hey, there's got to be something that's out there because I, I was a little bored. And I'm sitting there uh, drinking a, a, a beer from the from the location that I was at. Just sitting there, uh, drew this drew this thing out on the back of a bar napkin, and and then uh, I was like, I may actually have something here. This is doesn't seem like it's a bad idea. Hmm. So I take a picture of it and I send it to uh, uh, Sergeant Tim Peters, Master Sergeant Tim Peters, and um, then I call my boss the next day and I ask him, Is this a good idea? He's like, It's not a bad idea. Hmm. And he said, Will it work? And I said, Well, I think so. And uh, let me get the math. Let me do the math and figure out if the pressures will still uh, be what we need them to be and what kind of flow rate that we're going to expect. I did all the math and uh, started uh, telling people about my idea and asking them if we could do it. And finally, it took uh, the commander of the LRS there, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Juan Fuel. I can't thank that man enough for having the faith in me. And, and this idea, he, um, his actual, uh, his actual saying after we got off of a teleconference, um, he, he told me to call him back and I, I can't make this up. He said, I wasn't here for this interview. What did he say? Why did you bleep it? Let's just say he creatively said, let's buy it. So oh. we, we pulled the trigger, bought it and, uh, we assembled the first one uh, September of 2020, and we're sitting there and we're we're doing what we call in the, in POL uh, internal recirculation. So basically, we have a fuel truck issuing to the Viper kit, and we have the Viper kit issuing back to the same fuel truck. So it's just recirculating the fuel, and something that simple, just watching the fuel. I mean, you can't see the fuel, but watching it pressurize the hose and go through that. And it's just recirculating the fuel and it's not limiting anything. And it was, it was unreal. It was like, it, it was like nothing I could have expected. I was like, it works. And uh, my boss was like, of course it works. I was like, I know, I knew it would work going up to it, but I was actually nervous before we put the fuel in it. I was really nervous that it wasn't going to work because we just spent $30,000 on an idea that I drew up on a bar napkin. <laughs> so... Ooh. Yeah, and, and it was a huge relief, and it was so excited. I have never seen um, Senior Master Sergeant Seamus Dowdy. I've never seen him. That was my boss. I've never seen him so happy and so proud, and that, that, felt, that felt really good that I could do that, and the excitement of all the airmen and NCOs that were standing around me because they were the ones that realized what was going on. Uh, they were on the edge of something amazing. These guys are way smarter than I'll ever be. So if I can inspire somebody or show them the path on how to get some something done, let's do it because I, I'm all about that. Master Sergeant Jason Yunker, as we wrap up this episode of FYSA and Air Force Podcast, what message do you have for an airman that may have a great idea in their back pocket but just doesn't feel empowered or maybe is even afraid to say something, what would you say to them? Why are you waiting? Um, if you've got a good idea and it doesn't have to be a Viper kit, it doesn't have to be something tangible. If it makes your life easier and it makes you happier to come to work, let's do it. it 
bring it up to your supervisor if you don't want to bring it up to your supervisor look me up on the global not every idea is is a great idea but if it makes your job easier let's let's try to do it again thank you to master sergeant jason yunker co-creator of the viper kit thanks for being on the show sir thank you very much those were some great stories of empowerment I am kind of inspired by all this, and stay tuned because I have an innovation that I think may work for our field. Well, you know who to call. I loved our guests today, so big shout out to Senior Airman Gabrielle DeQuire and Lieutenant Colonel Sarah Zimmerman. And a big thanks to Mr. Dustin Dickens and Colonel Lance Clark over at the Air Force Installation and Mission Support Center. With Air Force Production, I'm Angel Orozco. And I'm Senior Airman Michaela Daly, and this has been for your situational awareness. Across the galaxy